I think we've all got places to be, i.e. my bed. Not all three of us, we ain't kinky (laughs) 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 Well, I am, but not for that reason. Hello and welcome everybody to the third instalment of the Empods best movie, worst movie, or as it's going to be known probably from this point on, the best of and the worst of. And with me today, I've got two darling friends who I appreciate so very much and it's a joy to be with them once again on our very strictly maintained schedule that definitely (laughs) (laughs) is always adhered to but before I introduce you to them if you are a first-time listener I just want to say to you welcome and welcome back if you're not we like you all equally except for Brussels who we love unconditionally (laughs) if this is your first time and you're not following us subscribe and like and follow and share and all that groovy groovy stuff we are the end podcast and you can find us on all platforms on twitter and instagram we are the end underscore pod and we're available on all your favorite listening locations and you're thinking well hang on a minute i'm already subscribing on one of those listening locations well guess what we've got a youtube as well and you're thinking well what's on the youtube i'll tell you smaller parts of the podcast that you probably already listened to but <laughs> we also have original content so go and check us out over there. It is the end pod one shots. Wow. Now all that corporate shillings out of the way. And thank goodness it is, because believe me, guys, you're only hearing it for the first time. I have to do it every episode and it don't get any more interesting. So let's let's get to the best part of this pod. My friends, first of all, I'd like to introduce you to Shane. Shane, how are you doing, me old? I'm all good. Watch some good films, which is always a pleasure. Yeah, life's great. Can you just use it a little bit? Just like, no. you know, that's why he's a foil to my over-exuberance. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, please tell me you're all right, me old mate. I'm awesome. You know, guys, how much I love these little midweek confections that we get to do for best and worst. Very excited for this one. And yeah, uh, good overall one. good, except my uh, hour, I should say our basketball team absolutely blows. We're not talking about sport, mate. We're not talking about sport. (laughs) Cut it. Cut it. We ain't talking about football. We're not talking about fucking basketball. Sports dead. The world's on fire. And we're watching films. That's that's it. Don't talk about it. Are you a Leicester fan? I am now. Both are now. Oh, oh, okay. In the same way that I tricked him into supporting Leicester on the back of a Premier League and FA Cup and the Community Shield. He has also tricked me into thinking the Celtics can play some fucking basketball. I'm yet to see evidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what you're thinking is now, what's the topic du jour? Well, I'm going to tell you guys, it's a really exciting one. And I know you've already clicked on play and you've seen the title of the episode and that's probably why you're here. But just in case anyone missed it, there was a grand total of 18 comic book adaptations in the year of 2017 
And we, as always, are going to be picking our favourites and least favourites vis-a-vis the best and the worst. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a run through. And then I think I'd like to know your general perception of how this one's gone. So we had Death Note, which came from the manga. We had Bad Kids of Crestview Academy. We had Ghost in the Shell, another manga adaptation. We had The Wedding, Whedon Justice League. We had Wilson, which was the third Daniel Clowes adaptation. He was a cartoonist. We had Pokemon the movie, I Choose You, which was basically a cinematic reboot. Atomic Blonde, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. How dramatic did that sound? Smurfs, Lost Village, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, the Lego Batman movie. I know this is a long list. That's why we regretted choosing it, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're getting, to, we're getting to the top half now, guys. Don't worry about it. Spider-Man Homecoming, My Friend Dharma, and we had Thor Ragnarok. Oh, Jesus Christ, keeps going. Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Blade of the Immortal, Wonder Woman, and Logan. How did you enjoy the little experience, a little watch through, and how many indeed did you manage to get through? I enjoyed the experience quite thoroughly. I got through, I think, all of them, although several of them I had seen before and didn't yeah, need yeah. to see because it's been somewhat recently, like, I think I watched Ragnarok fairly recently and, you know, some of the, the superhero stuff. I really like this because it's not all superhero movies. It runs the gamut. There's there's yeah, your Marvel and DC stuff. There's stuff like the Daniel Klaus stuff adapted from, I guess it's drawn in quarterly work, right? It was Wilson drawn in quarterly, I assume so. I thought it was like an OGN. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not your normal stuff you get at your LCS on a Wednesday. Um, and then you exactly. had your manga and other stuff. In fairness, I've only probably read the source material for about half of these. A lot of the stuff that was not superhero related, I hadn't read. Although I, I did read my friend Dahmer. Valerian I've read parts of. So I thought it was fun because it, it really ran the gamut in terms of what the form can bring. I don't think I could honestly say I've read anything on there. Bits of Justice League. So maybe I have. But yeah, bits and bobs. And I wouldn't say there's anything here that I'm over familiar with. I've not read the Alpinet and Lanning Guardians, but I read the, the Bendis stuff, the Donny mm-hmm. Kate stuff, um, you know, that sort of era. I actually own all the original ones from the 80s. I've got a complete set of that. Again, with most of that stuff, I just bought it, stuck it in a box and never saw it again. Wonder Woman, New 52, read a bit of. But yeah, I, I find it really enjoyable. Even the bad films, when you accept how it was made and for the purpose that it was made for, I certainly there aren't any flawless films in this list, but mm-hmm. I also think there aren't any films without positives as well. There was enjoyable aspects to almost all of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I watched 17 and a half. I couldn't quite make it through Pokemon. There's that many Pokemon movies I've seen on before. So, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I watched the Smurfs four times because my son likes it. He Uh sat with me when I watched it for the first time. And then every time I walked in the room, it was back on again. (laughs) I like superhero stuff. I prefer DC characters, personally. I was glad that it wasn't so superhero heavy. There was a good mix. Yeah, really good mix. And not only differences from studios and source material but as Tim quite rightly said there is a real difference in the style and the way that they were interpreted and presented as well. Let me ask you guys did you find it easy or difficult to make your selections? I started off not wanting to be obvious and 
I would have to say there was something that I started off in mind for my worst, and I sincerely wanted something to beat that in terms of my least favourite. In terms of the best, I did struggle. I don't think there was a film without fault. It wasn't something that I would have said, maybe tweak this. I don't think there was a 10 out of 10, a 9 out of 10. I had two or three where I thought, wow, this is a lot better than I remembered. When it's fresh and in the time, you're surrounded by your own experience of all the media that's around you at the time, it's impossible not to judge the films contextually. I think with the distance, you judge them a lot more out of context and a lot more objectively. So my opinions on a couple change quite drastically because I wasn't rolling my eyes at, well, this is just clearly derivative of that or whatnot. But as soon as I started looking into the background of a couple of films, I really started to become excited about one, which really wasn't the one that I was expecting it to be. Unfortunately, but fortunately, <laughs> I knew exactly what I was going to choose. But re-watching them all, I was surprised at how many of the highly rated films I didn't really have the time for. It was surprising. I mean, this was seen, I think, as a changing of the guard of comic book films as a lot of the commentators were saying there's no such thing as a comic book film anymore. Comic book's almost the vehicle and we have all these different genres expanding out of it. And actually it's almost sad to see like a rubber band that's contracted back to the token comic book films. The buying of Fox hasn't helped. Diversity been completely taken off the table. At this point, it feels like a false dawn. It was really, really exciting yeah. at that time. Yeah, especially coming off, imagine like 2017, you're just a few years removed. For, I mean, I just remember that period being where the MCU is just absolutely ramping up and absolutely just crushing it every single time out of that point. I can't remember what Endgame was. Endgame would have been in the pandemic, 18. wouldn't it? So it would have been 18 and then 19 Endgame. The context, at least for the MCU and the, the traditional superhero film is ramping up and we know we're ramping up to this point so it's every iteration yeah, is yeah, very yeah. very exciting it was a really cool year it's nice to revisit these and if you think of the form that fox were on as well exclusively the, the x-men stuff you had a really good wolverine film mangold second but really really good film that people don't rate nearly enough deadpool we had logan we had days of future past and that's off the back of x-men first class we had a run of five X-Men films. I actually believe, say pound for pound, like whether you agree with it or not, there was a legitimate question. Is Fox now the superhero studio for preference? It was such an almost combative era for superhero adaptations. And DCs hadn't really failed yet in the way that we think of that era, you yeah. know? And so there was still hope there. Hope's now renewed with James Gunn, but at the time, it, the world was our nerd oyster, such as it is. All right, then. Shall I get on with what my my least favourite film from this list is? The worst there. comic book adaptation of the year 2017. Oh, God. Look, I just want to caveat this and say it's my choice. I can accept that this film is objectively good, but I fucking hate it. If we are saying that phase four is the well of disappointment, this was the first bucket to extract its resources. It was one of two returning auteur filmmakers for the MCU that have a very distinctive stamp. This is, of course, not the excellence that is James Gunn, but this is Taika Waititi's Thor 
Ragnarok. Now, as I said, I fucking hate this film. The whole conceit of it, it was just the next YTT film. This film could have been anything. The plot structure, the communication between characters, the duologue, the dialogue, the monologues, that could have just been carbon copy, take out the avatars of the Marvel characters, and then insert YTT's next film. And you're saying, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that, because it's fart jokes, it's dick jokes. It's silly behind the hand, look at the camera fucking jokes in a film that's supposed to be the end of the world. People say, well, yes, but he just mixes tragedy with levity. No, he doesn't. He tramples on the tragedy by making stupid jokes. Chris Hemsworth, I've said this a hundred fucking times and I'll say a hundred fucking more. The guy (laughs) is not funny. Do you know what he is? He's the good looking guy that got away with murder at school. He could always be a prick, but because he was good looking or he's good at football, everybody liked him. So all his silly little jokes were funny because everybody wanted to be his friend. He says things in a, in a silly voice. Well, Loki, I don't think you really meant that, did you? Not funny. There is no capture and release of a setup of a joke and then a punchline. There is no rule of three. He just says silly things in a voice. And it is perplexing to me. Ghostbusters, the reboot of Ghostbusters, oh, he's just so funny. And that. No, he does the same thing. He plays mm-hmm. a dum-dum and says things in a silly voice. But this guy is probably funny to speak to. However, I can be quite funny. I'm quite funny in the podcast sometimes. If you put, if, don't get me wrong, I've got, I've got like a, on my phone, I've got notes for my potential first stand up gig. However, I know, I know that if I did that, I would die and it would hurt me so emotionally that I would never be able to leave my house again. Put him on a stage. No, I'll tell you what would happen if you put him on a strange. It's Chris fucking Hemsworth. Everybody would love him still. I hate good-looking people. And I used to be one of them. (laughs) 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 Again, getting back to the the point of this that I really, really dislike. It is an all-power, omnipotent, omnipresent character that is coming to terms with his own mortality and the fact that he has to accept the death of all things so that he can embrace the rebirth. It completely pisses that story up the wall, not just because of the standard of writing, but this whole thing became a by proxy for Planet Hulk. Go on to YouTube now. Any, any video breakdown of this only talks about Planet Hulk. There are clear through lines from the comic series, Thor Disassembled, that are in this. The way he loses an eye, the way that he has to accept Ragnarok. And by the way, I know I've said this on the podcast before and Tim's going to be sick of hearing it. There's a, this is how poignant the comic book series is. Thor is out of ideas on how to save Ragnarok. He goes to the world tree. He is on his knees in, before the world tree. Please tell me how to save my people. He realized that his father, Odin, had stopped to Ragnarok previously. He lost his eye. He sacrificed his eye through battle. So Thor pulls out one of his own eyes and gives it to the world tree in sacrifice. He then kneels as nothing changes. Asgard is falling around him. He looks at the world tree and says, how foolish am I? I am only matching my father's sacrifice and it is just an empty gesture. I have to go further than my father. So he pulls out his other eye and gives it to the world tree. He then kneels in front of it in absolute despair, realizing that he is now but a fool and blind and can't save his people. There were so many pertinent, tragic, heartfelt moments in this where you see, how do you bring Thor 
a character that is so powerful down to his roots and actually threaten him. You make him question everything that he is, everything that he's believed in. And he has to reconstruct his whole belief system to save Asgard. And not only does he save Asgard, he has to kill Asgard to then enable its rebirth. That is the power of this storyline. And look, judge a film of what it is and not what you expect it to be. I get that. That's why I can accept that this is a good film. What bothers me, the same way Love and Thunder pissed away the God Butcher, pissed away Jane Thor, we will never get Thor disassembled, adapted now. Ever. We'll never get that. It's off the table. And that was a quality story arc. And again, if you consider the death of Odin in this film, it had no emotional weight. Look at the way Frida died. I was in disbelief in Dark World, a film that people slate, people pile on like it's unanimously the worst. I actually think it's one of the better MCU films. But the weight of the death of Frida in that is one of the most powerful deaths, the most affecting deaths. And what's supposed to be a poor film? In this fantastic film, Odin dies, nothing. I didn't care. He just drifted off into fucking space. And like, mark my words now, anyone, anyone, and I'm sorry, Tim, because this is going to include you, anyone that gave Ragnarok a free pass got the film they deserved in Thor Love and Thunder. Because I said after Ragnarok, and I was hearing about this is going to be even sillier, Hang on a minute. We're talking about somebody with what, like stage four cancer when you're making it sillier. Tell me why, TT. How are you going to make that fucking work? I, I just can't. A flagrant disrespect of the characters and what the studio. Because to me, Dark World could have been a misstep in a War of the Realms trilogy. If they'd have been brave enough to carry on that epic feel, and it would be like Captain America, the first Avenger. In hindsight, people go, actually, that wasn't that bad. I fucking hate it, Tim. Well, first, I think you've given much more consideration to your least favorite movie than I gave to mine. Um, (laughs) And then second, I don't hate the movie, but I do remember being underwhelmed by it. When that came out, people were absolutely fucking falling over themselves gushing over the newest YTT masterstroke I remember thinking like eh, I don't know man the comedy is so gratuitous and I don't mean like gross but more like it's not organic to the movie there's like a tongue-in-cheek element to it that I found extremely Mm. annoying and I don't know I don't have any experience with the Thor disassembled story arc other than what you've told me in our discussions so I don't have the um you know, the emotional attachment. Yeah, 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 exactly to this. So it doesn't hit me on that on those grounds. But I do think it was one of the weaker installments of Mm. a character that I actually quite like. When that first one came out, I remember thinking like, this is fucking funny. And not necessarily because of him, but because of uh, Kat Dennings, right? Yeah, she's so good. good. Yeah, she's so good. And I love that one because that may have actually been the first MCU movie that I had seen, certainly in the theater. And so I come in with a context of thinking of superhero films as just like overly dour and not really fun. And that one was such a fun one. And so to see this mm-hmm. as a follow-up to that original installment, I thought was like quite disappointing. I don't hate it, but I, I don't like it particularly. Oh, well, I wasn't speaking to you then, Tim. You didn't deserve Love and Thunder. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have to say 
to reiterate, when I started watching these films, the first one I watched, I didn't bother with Death Note again because I'd seen it and I was like, whatever, it's just a fucking shitty Netflix adaptation. And then I did watch the series and I thought, okay, now I can understand why everybody hates it. But there was another film on here which was so bad, but it was so low budget and it was like watching a Saved by the Bell film. Yeah, but it's a crap film, but it's supposed to be a crap film. I really set out with the objective of not having to go through this with Ragnarok again. Because mm. it's probably boring for anybody that knows me now, but I really did try to hate, to dislike a film more than Ragnarok, but I don't think there is one. <laughs> I don't think that exists. <laughs> <laughs> when I initially went to the cinema to see Thor Ragnarok, I, I thought it was okay. It has the greatest rock, paper, scissors joke you're ever going to hear in a film. Like, that's great. It was a stepping stone towards where we are now in terms of humour. So the first half of Quantumania was just stupid, over-the-top jokes that didn't contribute to the story in the slightest. By the time Jonathan Majors turns up, I don't care anymore. But yeah, I don't hate it. It's not my worst, but... I have... I'm not going to say them out loud, but I think I have a certain two that is going to be... One or the other is going to be yours, and I'm very much typecasting you here, so I'm excited to see if I'm any way accurate. So go, go well, for it, Shane. Well, what do you think my worst is, then? You tell me what my worst is. I think you're going to give Death Note a pass, and I think it's going to be Ghost in the Machine, Ghost in the Shell, whatever it is. I am going to give Death Note a pass, and it is <laughs> Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> so, uh, Death Note only gets a pass because it takes the original uh, Japanese manga, and it's not guilty of whitewashing. It takes the story, it moves it all to America. It exactly, doesn't yeah, yeah. do what Ghost in the Shell did. And Ghost in the Shell, uh, it will, it will, yeah, it's terrible. It's hard to put into words just how racist I find this film. The worst part about it isn't even the fact that they took Motoko Kusanage and made her a white person, a white woman. It's the fact towards the end of the film, they saw fit to try to explain why they did it by, I mean, midway through the film, the scientist that created the shells said, we made you the peak of what you can be. We took you beyond where you were. And then towards the end of the film, you realize both Kuze and Motoko were Japanese children that they stole and made white. They tried to justify it by Add in a scene with her mother, that just made it far worse. The special effects were good. They just tried to take it too far. Have you ever seen the original anime? I can't remember what I have and haven't seen, but it was in, um, which is going to be a future episode, that uh, initial wave of manga entertainment when my friend had the VHSs. And I can remember Fist of the North Star blowing my mind and everything else is a bit of a blur. In the original anime, at the beginning, she stands on top of the tower block, she jumps off. The exact same thing happens in the, the American movie. However, in the movie, she somehow manages to fire herself through the window into the room. It's so gratuitous in its use of special effects. It ruins all the nuance that was in the original anime. It completely destroys it. It does have Takeshi Kitano in it, though. There's a scene towards the, the latter half of the film where he's been attacked and he kills everyone, quietly whispers, don't send a rabbit to kill a fox, which is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. But that might be because I'm in love with Takeshi Kitano. 
That's your wife's name, isn't it? That's that's your wife's name. That, that's your wife. That's, that's your wife. <laughs> yeah, she, I've been to a, a small Japanese man with a, a dodgy eye. <laughs> oh, well, that's fine, mate. We're friends that all come as her. I have to ask the question. To me, when we use words like racist, there has to be intent. How much of this do you think was ignorance and how much of it do you think was intentional? You can't claim ignorance if you try to justify it at the end of the film. You knew it was there because you tried to justify it. All because of money. You wanted a Scarlett Johansson vehicle. This was it. This pretty much killed all anime adaptations in Hollywood. Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be working on an Akira adaptation and that died because no one wants to go anywhere near him anymore. And not only that, it almost killed female-led action films because it was the final Mm. proof. And also one that Ike Perlmutter used for not wanting any female-led MCU films because why would you when they always tank? Yeah. As you said with Death Note, it was a Western adaptation with Western actors. I think you either commit to that or you don't. What was the other thing that did it recently? Bridgerton. They had this very colorblind cast, a black queen and black love interest. This is the way it works on stage, and people just get on with it. However, three episodes in, they alluded to the king having an affair with a black lady, which then makes it canonically um, precise, which then undermines any intent to have a racially diverse cast. I've not watched Bridgerton, so (laughs) I couldn't tell you. You claim to be something and then you explain it away. The problem isn't with the action, it's with the explanation of it. Canonic. There was no way they could move the action to America because the cyberpunk genre is so intrinsically, it's part of Japan. If you go through the 70s, the 80s, all of their manga and anime, it's part of the culture. And it wouldn't have worked. If they really wanted to do it, they should have found, even if they wanted an American actress, just find an Asian American actress. One thing to observe is that for both of you guys, your least favorite is in some ways linked to a relationship you have with the underlying material. And that's interesting. I don't have any relationship to either of these, nor do I have a relationship to the underlying material for my worst. But I wonder in a thought experiment, whether if you did not have exposure to that, whether your choices might conceivably be different. Oh, 100%. There's two films on this that are absolutely terrible. And there's a third yes. one that has no right to be probably as good as it is under the circumstances, but it's still terrible. So there are, categorically, and the, the animated ones I couldn't even see to the end. So there are, yeah. without question, worse films on this list. Much worse films. Ghost in the Shell. I reasonably enjoyed it. It reminded me of like Assassin's Creed. No relationship to the game. So I just kind of watched it. I was like, yeah, the action's pretty cool. I get it, won't watch it again and probably won't remember it. I agree with you as well. If I didn't absolutely love Ghost in the Shell, not so much the second movie and the series, I 100% agree. I'll tell you Mm. what Tim's thinking now. Tim's thinking he's been betrayed by the pair of us, by emotional reactions (laughs) to very good films. (laughs) (laughs) Tim's sitting there thinking, I've been betrayed by the pair of them. Now I've got to go and give some limp-wristed appeal to some film that I couldn't care fuck about. (laughs) 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 I do. Do, do your best or do your worst, Mr. Bagshaw. <laughs> I'm just thinking, okay, I do have some relationship with the underlying material of my best, but my worst is, could be somewhat controversial, but I do not like this movie at all. I, I really do not like Atomic Blonde. That's my worst. Really? Yes. Wow. We have really have gone to fucking battle on this one. Go on, please do tell. I'm intrigued. 
Okay. So there are certain things I do like about it. Some of the set pieces are pretty slick. I mean, it looks great. But if you were to look up in a dictionary, the definition of style without substance, you would find a picture of fucking Charlie Theron in this movie. I find this movie... Its main problem to me is that the story is borderline incomprehensible. And I don't mean like suspend disbelief, but like literally what in the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> it twists itself into like these incomprehensible knots to set up these plot twists that are devoid of any fun because the twist that happened, the subplot about who's the mole is beyond anticlimactic because there's only like three possible candidates for it it's like you can figure out immediately who the fucking mole is because there's only three characters it's you know it's i find that to be like so insulting the film is predicated on as a thought experiment i kind of got the same thing we talked about last time as shane what's the one that we hated last time i'll find out okay well anyway regardless of what the name of that was that one to me just thought about it like seemed like a think piece put to screen it was just extremely cold I found this one to be interesting insofar as it's like predicated on exploiting cliche of the thriller noir spy like Cold War drama, but it never transcends it. In fact, the main thing about a Cold War spy noir is that you have to have, if you're talking about the cliches, the tropes of the genre, is you have to have these interpersonal, international like fucking alliances that drive the story forward. It's devoid of that. It seems like on its face is about exploiting cliche and lacks the central cliche of the fucking genre it seeks to exploit is to me like, I don't know, an oversight, just badly conceived. And then can we talk about the annoying ass soundtrack? It just bashes you over the head. It's like, yes, we know it's fucking the 1980s. We don't need to hear, need to hear 99 lift balloons and all the fucking shit. Like, it's, it becomes, at first it's incisive and then it becomes intrusive. But my main critique of it is what is happening in this film and this the motivating like subplot just makes no sense to me i don't know i kind of hate it actually there's a german language limited series called cleo which does the precise thing that atomic bond is trying to do it has yeah. the machinations the subterfuge the clandestine acts that you expect from it and the piecemeal yeah. putting together of who can she trust who is still a bad actor who was doing that but was actually undercover for the good guys and that's what you wanted from a title so yeah i, I get it I yeah mean, well, I, yeah exactly I, my main problem with this is that all of the international spy berlin wall shit the recovering of the list and all that stuff rooting out the mole is not in service of a character or itself necessarily it's just to like get us from one action sequence to the next. And I, I, I just, I cannot get down with it. Now I have no relationship to the underlying material. I don't know, like that's not my problem with it. My problem is just like, I don't understand the story. And it's very in the post John Wick era as well. Yes, yeah, it's the same director, very, right? Like the same creator. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. There, there was talk at one point of being, of the. Shane's put in the chat that the the film from last time was false positive. So false know. positive, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there was talk at one point of an atomic blonde John Wick, the accountant shared universe where they might cross one or all of the characters up, um, to each other. So yeah, I can understand it. Again, 
I watched it, kind of enjoyed it, face value. The music didn't bother me as much as it did you, but what I don't like about soundtracks like this is when they go for the top 10 most obvious, hit you over yeah. the head. I've got a playlist that I'm working on at the minute on Spotify, and it's got about 60, 70 tunes on, all from 1982. I've listened to anywhere between 100 and 150 albums from that one year, and I can tell you, I could put together the best Simple Minds, the best Depeche Mode, the best In Excess, Flock of yeah. Fucking Seagulls, and no, not I Ran To You. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly, maybe, exactly. Maybe messages, maybe um, window, something like that. Even Space Age Love Song would would be a better choice than Iran. It really bothers me because, like, it's lazy. There are worse movies in this year as an objective matter, but of this kind of film, you can see so many better versions of it. Like, just watch John Wick, which is more clear, more yeah. thematically consistent, more interesting. Even the last one, which we reviewed somewhat tepidly, somewhat favorably, but rather tepidly about like its yeah, action yeah, yeah. sequences. I don't know. It, this just did not hit the mark for me at all. If you're watching it as for an action film, there's so many better action movies. And if yeah. you're watching it for a Cold War spy drama, I'd rather read a John Le Carey book. There was no mystery to it. I watched it whilst Instagramming. That's how boring it yeah. was. It's brainless. It's like so simplistic that you think you miss something. Like, I convinced myself it can't be them mm -hmm. because there's no way it's that easy. There yeah, has to be exactly. something. Yeah. Can I just say yeah. one thing though? Can I say one thing? If I'd have yeah. known at the time, this is when I wasn't really in the thick of films and I was watching things after they came out. I'd just look at the list on movie boxes it was at that point and go, okay, that looks fun. Let's watch that tonight. Had I have known, I would have said this Bill Skarsgård's kid is going to do big things. That is the one <laughs> thing that I will, I will defend. Mm -hmm. Well, fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my best is something I do have a relationship with, which is, and this is going to be so obvious, I feel like, but kind of like you, Matt, the inverse, I was looking for something to like more than this. And some yeah. things I did like quite a bit. Um, Contenders, before I reveal my best, the contenders will be like, I like the Lego Batman movie a lot. I love that one. Guardians Volume 2. I respect the ambitions of Valerian, but it's just so grotesquely miscast. Yeah. My favorite, though, is Logan. Now, that's going to be an obvious one. A brutal and bleak superhero film that takes its characters and its themes truly seriously. I think it elevates the genre past what can be spectacle. Like, we've seen this in the past. <laughs> you're giving me a thing um, um it elevates the genre which is the genre being the superhero film past spectacle and it's something that resembles or art maybe even like poetry in some moments it was and is to me the first x-men movie that doesn't bottom out with endless expensive or even about one of the first superhero movies that doesn't bottom out with like endless expensive cgi battle scenes it's quite leisurely in many respects even minimalist, yeah, yeah. which I thought was like quite beautiful. It's very minimalist, which is a very interesting choice for this type of film. I can't remember how well it did, but I thought when I saw it, it, it was very conspicuous to me like how minimalist it was and how beautiful that made it. You know, one of the, the organizing themes you guys will find, basically a quintessential Western. It's a, a sad outlaw. Like road, yeah, like a road movie. Well, Matt, we talked about this when we talked about Supergirl. 
one of the things that appeals to me immediately was the fact that it's based on the Clint Portis novel. And so I, I just love that kind of stuff. And here we have like a really sad kind of outlaw road movie dressed up in superhero drag. It's a Western in the best sense of the tradition. You probably guys don't know about this. Characters in our culture like Wyatt Earp and Jesse James, those characters, <laughs> Logan in this case, has lived long enough to see his checkered exploits of his past transformed into myth in real time. And so he's confronted with this, his own legend in this film, in the pages of like gas station comics. I thought that was so extremely poignant. It succeeds not unlike Guardians 3. Some of the pinnacles of the superhero genre is like, it's a standalone film that is not burdened by continuity and canon. But all that's there. It's just implied in Hugh Jackman's performance. It leaves all the X-Men canon implied and it resists at all times when it could be so easy, it resists callbacks and cameos on this entirely. Jackman's performance carries so much that's implied and unsaid. Like I said, it carries the weight of all of his other world from appearances, though it's unspoken, it's implied in his because of yeah, grizzled yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Notwithstanding its extreme violence, it somehow maintains the core X-Men themes, core of the films, core of the comics, of hope, inclusion, family, generational torch passing, even its darkest and most violent moments. And it manages to deliver all this, all the visceral goods that you want out of an X-Men movie, especially a Wolverine movie. You get all the hardcore action scenes that the fans demand. And I, I want to see while still functioning as a thoughtful and frankly poignant dramatic film. I love yeah. this movie. Yeah. I was so surprised, Tim. I set out with the objective of this not being my favorite because, yeah, but it is. Again, it's not without its faults. There are no perfect films in this. There was just such a dedication from the three central characters and Jackman, Patrick yeah. Stewart. And let's not forget that Daphne Keene, this is the first time she'd ever been recorded on screen. And she absolutely dominates every single scene she's in. I mean, it was called a deconstruction at the time, but I would call it a, a reconstruction because it yeah, elevated... Yeah. It elevated the genre and every performance was so raw and without vanity. You know, two old men haunted by past actions and mistakes coming to terms with with the repercussions of this, not the immediate emotional collateral that was expended or physical collateral, but years down the line where the physical wounds are laying heavy, when the emotional wounds are laying heavy. And there's just some things that you can't, murder out of your system in actual fact it's just adding bodies to the distress it yes 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 it really really surprised me how much i liked this when i rewatched it i it really did take me aback it was probably more impacting because i had preconceived notions of the third act when it was the like for like sort of thing and at the time i rolled my eyes but now thinking about it is there more, was there a more perfect way of pinpointing what this film was about? It was about Logan at odds with Wolverine. Yes. Coming to terms with that. And then they provided a physical personification of that internalized battle. And going on to the violence and the versimilitudinous nature of it, that when the kids are taken to the coordinates, which is 
And I think it should be said that this is not the old man Logan story. And one of the very few, very small mm-hmm. winks to that was the coordinates were in the wasteland. And, you know, the event at West, Westchester, and with it being, and the irony of that was here it's portrayed that Professor Rex was the culprit, whereas in the actual source material, it's Wolverine that's um, brainwashed, isn't he? And then he murders all the X-Men. Yes, but right. With the children in that final escape scene, again, going back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, because we only recently watched this, if you listen to this podcast down the line, when Adam Warlock, hits Drax, you feel like his sternum is breaking. When he's pounding on Nebula, you feel her jaw dislocate. You feel her skull cave in. You feel her arm dislocating. When the little girl blows cold air onto that bloke and his arm freezes and then it breaks, you almost feel your own forearm splinter. It wasn't just graphic violence. It wasn't the extent of the violence. It was the realism, the vis- mm-hmm. visceral nature of it. I was really surprised how much I liked this revisiting it. I think this is one of the, possibly the great masterpiece of the form, uh, the superhero form. It works as it's a very, very successful human drama. You don't have to add the superhero label to that. Like you don't have to add the adjective. It is a very successful yeah. drama. Yeah, I love this movie. And we have to realize as well that post Nolan, there was a, a race of these pseudo-realistic superheroes films. The Amazing Spider-Man that tanked, Fantastic Four tanked. It is one yeah, thing yeah. to look at what Nolan did. The whole Snyderverse didn't do yeah. well at the box office, although people are more warming to them critically now. That This whole pseudo-realism that had been adopted and failed over and over. Like at that point, that was the MCU to be copied. How do we make these feel like real life? Then the MCU came along and it was like, how do we make these all lighthearted and a bit of a chuckle, but the good guys win, but they're going to be in danger at some point. This was pretty much the only successor to the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy that succeeded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used the R rating to sell the story. It didn't use it for the adaptation of the violence. It used it so it could tell an adult story. In actual fact, Hugh Jackman's dedication, he actually took a pay cut to balance the books to ensure that it was the R rating for the the loss of ticket sales with it being R rated. That's how much they committed to this. Uh, I really like the first half of this film. I detest the second half. Uh, not even the second half, really. The, the, the second quarter, the, the last quarter, when they finally reached their, their destination and, and with the kids, yeah, it lost me completely. Um, I really liked Stephen Merchant's character. I thought he was oh, great. Man. Yeah, I thought he was great. It just lost something towards the end. I just didn't think it was very good. It's not even momentum. I think, I don't know why, honestly. Interesting. I, the only way I justify that is there was a very similar setup in Thor Love and Thunder and probably one of the only legitimate scenes in Thor Love and Thunder is when Christian Bale was allowed to terrify the kids in the in the cave. And even that scene, the kid actors were atrocious, as we always said. It just seemed yeah. completely, Christian Bale was great, but the kids were fucking kid actors and kid actors were always terrible. I actually believe these kids. I actually believe that they had this unabated belief that him as the legend of X-Men 
as opposed to the actual story of him compared to what they'd seen in the comics that yes exactly I've, i felt there was an earnestness to their belief and i think where that could be seen as like an over simplistic portrayal of that i actually thought that it showed the earnestness in their belief in logan i completely agree and <laughs> yeah yeah this has historical precedent like i was saying with some of the old western heroes this actually happened they lived long enough to see their exploits transformed into myth and for them to be effectively national heroes here. So I find that very believable and quite thoughtful, personally. And also the, the pro-X death scene. I can remember sitting in the cinema going, what the hell is going on? I was completely disorientated. I thought it's a dream sequence. He's having like an episode or, yeah, or something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't, and the shock of that, and again, to give Shane his dues, when it came out, it was a like for like, what do they call it? X12 or X20 fucking hundred or whatever it was. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, so like for like. I just want to say one more thing before we pass it over to Shane. That in the Wolverine, Yukio predicts he will die on the ground with his heart in his hand. And the dramatic irony and almost poetic nature of that is he dies on the ground with Laura holding his hand because he mm -hmm. has come to accept that Laura's his daughter and that is now where his heart lies. Wow. Beautiful. All right, Shane, give us yours, mate, and fucking prepare yourself for some backlash you come. <laughs> <Going down. laughs> hey, I'm sure that's fine. Well, take your guess then, Matt. Take your guess. Oh, it's, it's fucking Blade of the Immortal, isn't it? It is Blade of the Immortal. Boo! Well done. Boo! <laughs> Boo! I think you've got the wrong idea with this podcast, Shane. I think what you're doing, mate, is you're seeing subtitles and that instantly makes you like it. I think you'd just be better reading books and going on a podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't dislike the film. Go on, mate. Sorry, that was rude of me. Everyone should have their fair crack. And then no, we'll no, it's cool. You afterwards. I'm a huge fan of Takeshi Miike, who they claim. They claimed on all the posters, this was his 100th movie. It's not, it's like, it's like 100th directorial effort. Like he's done TV shows and stuff. The thing I love about this film is they managed to cram 19 years worth of manga into two hour, 20 minute film. It is not without fault. I know that that's coming. <laughs> I can see the smile <laughs> on your face. <laughs> this is the thing I, I dislike about current Marvel films with humor. Because in Blade of the Immortal, there is humor all the way through it. One example is... Towards the end of the movie, it's a, a little girl that's been training to kill the person that killed her father, and she accidentally hits the person that's you know there to protect her. And it's funny; she gets him in the bum, but it serves a purpose later on. That action is what saves her. Nothing is in this film for the sake of it. I love the cut from black and white to color. That was good. almost perfect. I'm just waiting for you to tell me what you don't like. No, not at all, mate. I want to give you a fair crack. Would you say a fair appraisal of this would be True Grit meets Kill Bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kill Bill Volume 1, definitely. Mm -hmm. Especially the... was I can't even remember. Was Kill Bill Volume 1 the one with the cartoon segment? Or am I thinking of something completely different? Uh, there is an animated... I, I don't know, mate. It's been a long while since I've watched, watched any of them, but I do need to rewatch. You've rewatched them recently, haven't you, Tim? You said they were the best comic book film that's never been based off a comic book yeah i i love those films i can't remember I though which one uh has an animated sequence i just can't remember because you... the basic premise of the, of the story is there's a normal man who seems to be normal at the beginning and his sister who are attacked sister ends up dying and through some 
strange turn of events, the man becomes immortal. Fast forward 50 years, he comes across an identical woman to his sister who seeks his help. And he spends the entire film begrudgingly at first, helping her to slaughter the people that killed her father. And yeah, I love samurai films, considering it adapts 31 volumes into two hours and 20 minutes. It does a good enough job, and I was smiling all the way through it. Yeah, yeah. You want my pushback? Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting. Well, <laughs> no, look. I have, in my old age, become very tedious for hooky websites. Now, don't get me wrong, if it's a shitty series that I'm only going to fall asleep to each night and then roughly pick it up in the same way, I'll go on F movies and I'll quite happily just watch it on that. If there's something that I want to give a bit of attention to, I'll go on Amazon and rent it for the sake of like £2.50 or three fifty or whatever it is. Now, I'll put this film on and in the first 20 minutes of black and white, <laughs> I sent well, I sent you both a text message saying I fucking hate our podcast. I'm watching I'm watching a black and white film with fucking subtitles yeah. <laughs> on a Wednesday night. The podcast finished. It's over. And then <laughs> and then I was just being funny. I was winding I was winding Shane up a little bit because I knew this would be right up the street. <laughs> <laughs> the fight sequences are great. I just think for me this isn't. If this had been out 10 years prior, it would have held a lot more precedence with me. In 2017, even for Asian cinema, manga adaptations, anime adaptations, I'd seen it all before very quickly. And in the same way that I really do struggle watching anime, I tried to watch My Hero Academia recently, couldn't get past the first couple of episodes. It's almost too self-aware I don't feel like I'm being invited into a world. I feel that the characters are looking outward of the screen going, we are in a film. And I know that's a stylistic thing. However, in the year 2017, this all felt to me like I'd seen it before. And not just in Western films, but in the way that Western films have aped the best things about Asian films. This felt like a well-trodden path even in Asian films. I mean, it was first released in 1993. People have been plundering Asian influence for decades now. Netflix has a, a series of films, three movies, based on an anime that ripped this off. Was this version of the film released in the 90s or was this version of the film 2017? This is 2017, but it's faithful. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's the thing. I understand. I understand that. I'm not trying to say that it was bad. I enjoyed it. I think I watched about an hour and 40 minutes of it. And then I thought I'd revisit it the next day. And I thought to myself, there's no way this is going to be close to the worst, but it's also not going to be my best. I have to say at that point, I was more enamored by Wonder Woman than I was past because everything about it was derivative to Captain America. And at the time it was very recent. So the war setting, the, the, you know, return from a past age or a foreign land and slightly mm. wet behind the ears. A hero called Steve, played by an actor called Chris, self-sacrifices <laughs> himself by pushing a craft with magical realism into the depths of an ocean. The final act of that film is terrible anyway. I've told Shane off about critiquing more than one film in the past. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that. <laughs> but my, my point being because I was being a cheater then. My point being, it was never going to be my worst and it wasn't going to be my best. It was nowhere near the worst. It was probably, it's definitely in the top half of the ones. Yeah, I think I, I know what's going on. I don't need to finish this. 
for the task at hand. Yeah, I, I have no experience with anime really whatsoever. So I thought this is somewhat compelling. I liked it quite a bit. Having said that, Matt, it was not going to be my top. It was definitely not going to be my worst. Very good. Exactly yeah. how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't hate it. No, so I definitely did not hate it. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I couldn't even keep up the jest that I hated it for more than 15 minutes. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is just not fair. So I sent him the fish and rod emojis and went, now shut up and leave me to watch this masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> So, shall we wind things up there? Would you have anything else? Can we can we quickly just agree? Bad Kids at Crestfield Academy is actually the worst film. Oh, by a country mile. <laughs> That's all right. Thank you. It's, it's like so... an abomination. Directed by Ben Browder. Do you know who Ben Browder is? I don't no. know who Ben Browder is. Please. Have you ever heard of a TV show called Farscape? Please oh, tell I've me you've heard... seen Farscape. I've heard of, but I couldn't tell you the slightest. I don't know. I used to call in sick every single Monday so I could watch the new episodes of Farscape to the <laughs> point that my boss, she found out what I was doing and just rang me up on the morning and said, you don't have to come in today, you can come in tomorrow instead because I know you're watching Farscape. <laughs> and she changed my rotors so I never had to go in on a Monday. That's but so yeah, and, and it's That's terrible. It. He plays the caretaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. really? As soon as I knew it was bad a film as it was, it's like watching, what's the Tommy Wiseau film? You know, when people go oh to God, God. Yeah. Sometimes people just make a bad film and you have to accept it as that and then get on with enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was an abomination. Well, only agree, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right then, let's clear it up here because I think we've all got places to be, i.e. my bed. Not all three of us, we ain't kinky fuckers. <laughs> well i am but not for that reason i don't want to paint the rest of these stand up gentlemen with the brush of my (laughs) perversions 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 i've even perverted the word perverse yeah let's let's just change the subject and say goodbye for fuck's sake so shane do you want to say goodbye to everybody bye that's it so you get well, yeah, bye. Now you've spoiled it because you explained it. I liked it okay. as it was. I might chop that out or I might not. <laughs> yeah. I just have to say. So, Tim, That's you, you, yeah. <laughs> what a great end to the episode. Tim, how are you? Not how are you? I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all falling apart. It's falling apart. I was just thinking of perversions and now I'm, I'm all wriggly. <laughs> well, spe- special, special goodbye to Brussels, and uh, we'll we'll talk to Brussels on Saturday. We will indeed, if I if I get them out on time. Which you know I'm going to say tomorrow is going to be fucking reading Swamp Thing for Saturday, so I don't think Hotels is going to do. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that only leaves me, your regular co-host Matt, the most wonderful Matt of them all. And thank you very much for listening to the end. Again, people, if you've made it this far, why aren't you following us? Why aren't you subscribing? By the way, the people on YouTube, you get off the hook for this because you're sick and we love you because you're subscribing to us. You're liking us, you're commenting. There was actually a man that I didn't know commented on one of our videos and said, well done on it this week, which was groundbreaking. Let me tell you that. Wow, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, it went, well done. Now will you please listen to my review? And I went, well, this seems like a a very deliberate and almost um, quantitative exchange. But yes, sir, I will take you up on that offer and I'll comment on your video for your metrics. <laughs> <laughs> but just for the record, he had a thousand subscribers and ours was much better. So get to it, people. 
<laughs> but on that note, everybody else, please, please do go and find us. If you're on YouTube, you can get the whole episodes on all your favorite listening locations, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud or, or whatever app that you're using, fruit related or otherwise. We also have the Instagram and the Twitter, which is the end underscore pod. Now, with that all over and done with, I'm Matt. And that only leaves me one more thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. <laughs> nice. oh, I like that episode. That was a good episode. That was good. That was fun. <laughs>